welcome to the all-new, all-different, number one comics podcast. We're on episode nine. I am your co-host, Dan. Right across from me is Bob. Say hello, Bob. Hello, Bob. We are here to talk about a brand new number one comic that came out this very week in local comic book shops as well as digitally. We're also going to go over a little bit of comic book media and related news. We're going to talk about some new comics that came out this week and some that drop next week. And we'll also be announcing the book that we're going over next. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come right back, we're going to be going over... Stoneheart, written and drawn by Emma Kubert. We'll be right back. Welcome back to episode number nine of the all-new, all-different, number one comics podcast. We are going to talk a little bit of comic book news that dropped this week. I feel like a broken record, Bob, but there's honestly not that much. A very light news. James Gunn just stole everything. After that, the comic book news just died. It's honestly no joke. It was, I know I've said this before in previous episodes, you and I have talked about this personally and everything, but... There used to be comic book news, multiple outlets There's dropping every like single it. day. There was news out there just nonstop. You were hearing about things getting optioned, characters, castings, new books, all this kind of stuff. And now we're lucky if somebody says that their project that's been in development hell for three years has been canceled. <laughs> now it's all speculation. It pretty much is. Don't worry, guys. The Blade movie will be coming out in theaters tomorrow. Hope you got your tickets. Get excited. <laughs> Eventually, it will come out. Well, that's what they say. Just like that Spawn movie. They're both coming out. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Foxx is playing Blade and Spawn, so at least there's that. That's why it's taken so long to come out. <laughs> and he's filming them like simultaneously, so he takes a break from one and then goes over and shoots on the other, and then just back and forth like that. The guy doesn't sleep at all, so I feel kind of bad for him. Either that or Wesley Snipes will only come out of his trailer to do close-ups. For comic book news, actual comic book news this week, we did have an announcement that Images The Good Asian is being adapted into a TV series from James Wan's Atomic Monster and Three Arts. I think Atomic Monster is James Wan's production company and Three Arts must be somebody else, but... That is an announcement that happened. Bob, did you ever read The Good Asian? It's, uh, I, I'm pretty sure it's over now. I think it was just a mini, maybe like a five or six part, something like that, maybe a nine part. I did not, but I will definitely give it a chance if uh, James Wan is attached. I loved The Conjuring movies, which I thought you did. were going to say you loved Aquaman. <laughs> I liked Aquaman, but I mean, that's, that's, that's a di different story. Well, that's a very different story indeed. Yeah, I, this one sounds interesting. I haven't... I remember picking up The Good Asian. I don't remember anything really about the book. I had never even heard of it before you just brought it up and <laughs> I saw that it was trending. Yeah, it's... It's following Edison Hark, a haunted, self-loathing Chinese-American detective... On the trail of a killer in 1936 Chinatown, The Good Asian is Chinatown Noir, starring the first generation of Americans to come of age under 
an immigration ban the Chinese as there as there's rampant murders and abusive police in a world that seemingly never changes. So it I it, it sounds fine. It, it doesn't really I don't I don't know about you. I love whenever comic books get adapted and stuff like that. I don't particularly care too much whenever they're not like this is going to sound real pretentious, so let me be careful the way I word this. It's not that everything needs to be superhero or anything to me, but it just doesn't even sound like a comic book. It just sounds like something that could be in a novel or like something. Like a pulpy detective story. Yeah, it's just not... I guess I guess it's not fair to say it doesn't sound like a comic book. It's not my kind of thing. I don't really care about stuff like that. Just think of it as Dick Tracy light. Yeah, um, which, which is fine. I can get down on Dick Tracy, but it's got all the Batman villains in it, so... So that's what makes Dick Tracy fun. It's not fun if it's just Dick Tracy against mobsters that look like regular mobsters and don't have like cool names and dumb faces. Where where it's got a whether it's got mumbles and <laughs> you know um, yeah exactly. Uh, what was Al Pacino's name? Oh um, man, um, who knows? Um, uh, some of those characters. Yeah. Yeah, there was there was some crazy ones. Oh yeah, there was there was there was definitely some crazy ones. In yeah, I. I just haven't seen Dick Tracy in so long that I can't remember any of the names. Well, Flat Top, wasn't that one of them? Yeah, Flat Top was one of them who had a flat top as cool as <laughs> I did when I was in high school. There you go. Uh, Big Boy? Big Boy, that was Al Pacino's character's name. Okay, okay, okay. Lips, that was one. I remember Lips. 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 Yeah. There was Nails. There was, there was a few. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. There's there's quite a few. Little face? <laughs> That's a prune face? Wow. I prune face who was a California raisin, <laughs> essentially. Breathless Mahoney? I mean there's it, it never That was stops. Madonna's there's, character. Yeah, there's there's just a billion of them. Yes. <laughs> I do remember Mumbles because it was the first time I had ever seen Dustin Hoffman on screen. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. Now that you say that just thinking about Dick Tracy, because I only saw it as a kid. I never rewatched it as an adult. But now that you're saying the names of some of the actors in the movie, that was a cast. Jesus, it, everybody was in that, that That was what you would definitely call an ensemble cast. Yeah, you exactly. had Al Pacino, Madonna, again, Dustin Hoffman, uh, War, um, Warren Beatty. Yep. They, so they can, what we're trying to say is James Wan could really do something with this good Asian show. <laughs> He could definitely get some big talent in here. If he, he wanted to give everybody silly names, that would be cool, but we'll have to he see what it. happens, I guess. He needs to bring Al Pacino back, if nothing else, for a cameo. Yeah, I have a bad feeling it's played very straight, though. I think that's what it is. I think that's the, the gist of it. Anyways, speaking of mobsters and things that I'm not particularly interested in, Clancy Brown has been cast as Salvador Moroni. Yes. Okay. Very good. That was a long pause there. Um, in HBO's Penguin series. That's well, some very good casting. I, well, I was about to say, I'm not going to lie. I don't even know who Clancy Brown is. So. That's that's some very... Um, I'm trying to think of uh, something that you've probably seen. I know I know you've seen him before in uh, many things. Um, he voiced, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he voiced Lex Luthor... Highlander and oh yeah, he's been in a lot of things. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, if you if you you know if you need that menacing presence, um, like I said, he lent his voice to Lex Luthor, mm -hmm. and we all know how menacing Lex Luthor was. So yep. if you if 
if you need a menacing sounding and looking actor, then yeah, Clancy Brown is definitely your go-to guy. He was in Starship Troopers. I love that movie. I, I don't know about you, but that's a that's a fun it, movie. Very campy fun. <laughs> yeah, that's the the sequels. Yeah, I don't remember about the song, <laughs> but it was definitely a good. The the first one was good. The last little bit of news I have. The last thing here is John Barenthal. He will be reprising his role as Punisher in Daredevil: Born Again. I'm so glad Marvel is keeping him. Yeah, I was. I was gonna say. I wanted your thoughts on that. I really. I know. I really like that Punisher series. Sounds like you did too. Of course, we got. Yeah, this I, is great news. You so. know, I got. I gotta say, and I'm, I might be in the minority here, mm-hmm. but before Barenthal, I thought Thomas Jane. <laughs> I, I honestly thought he did a really good job. Okay. Yeah, he was the, cool. Um, he was cool. As the character. But then, you know, John Barenthal, which at the time we only knew him from, or at least I only knew him from playing Shane on The Walking Dead. Yep. So that's the only thing I had to uh, go off of. But his version of the Punisher, he just he just knocks the character of Frank Castle out of the park. Yeah, and it's funny that you say that because I think that my problem with him at first when he first got cast as Frank Castle was I just had that experience of him in The Walking Dead. And I I don't know why. Don't ask me why, Bob. I have some trouble separating like a a bad character from the actor sometimes. And I just didn't like him. Like I was I was not like Shane. No, I didn't want him to be Punisher. And I was I was upset. But then I saw him in the role and he was really good. So I liked it. But yeah, I, I didn't like his. His character in Walking Dead at all wasn't wasn't a fan. Um, yeah, that's that's cool though. I'm I am excited about that. Bob, did you have any news you needed to go over? Um, not really much news. I just had uh, one little tidbit that I wanted to share that you know I thought was kind of cool. And Dean and I talked about this, um, you know, uh, well before the podcast. And I just, I just wanted to say, you know, anybody who, you know, has access to the channel Vice TV, whether it be through cable or streaming services, I actually have it through Hulu Live TV. Um, there's a series called, it's called Icons Unearthed, and they've um, done one on, they started with Star Wars. They did one on The Simpsons. They did one on The Fast and the Furious. And now they're starting one on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Sounds so cool. It is. And it's um, basically, you know, they take each franchise and they usually break it down to like six or seven episodes. Mm-hmm. So they start, they start from the very beginning and then they'll go towards, you know, the end and this first episode, it basically talks about, you know, the, um, you know, starting days with Jack Kirby, Joe Simon, Martin Goodman is editor. And then it goes basically to the fire sale, the dark days, mm-hmm. you know, I would call it at Marvel and how it was sold off so many times and, you know, all the characters being sold off. And, you know, it. of course, along the lines, you know, you find out all these facts you had no idea about, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, at Marvel. And it goes to, you know, the great film Howard the Duck. 
everybody's favorite MCU film. And then it goes into, you know, how um, Marvel figured out, you know, through Blade, hey, we, you know, comic book movies work. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can make, you know, these characters into movies. And, of course, we know where the MCU is now. I mean, over ten years later, I mean... Look how many fans they've made. So definitely, if you have access to Vice TV, I would definitely, you know, recommend you checking this series out. Yeah, it sounds really cool. It sounds like a more in-depth kind of. What was that series that Netflix did with the toys and the like? The toys that the made toys us and the that movies made us, that made us. The movies and stuff like that, that made us. Yeah, I really liked those a lot. But this yeah. sounds a little more episodic. Like it's it really goes in deep. I think the thing that. I, I love finding out information about things that I like a lot, and I love when they go really deep. I I kind of, not to say that I, I, I don't appreciate the effort or whatever, but, but sometimes some of those shows, especially like the movies that made us, I watch you know episodes of that, like the one on Halloween and stuff like that, and I'm like, I already know all of this. Go deeper. I want to know more about this. Um, so, so it sounds like they go a little deeper. There is one tidbit about... The character of Howard the Duck <laughs> and who was supposed to provide the voice that will really shock you. Ah, so you're not going to tell us is what you're saying. No, have, I'm not going to spoil it for, ah, any, for any of our listeners. Damn. Well, you heard it. Call to action. Go check out Vice TV Icons. Icon, it's called, uh, it's on Vice TV. It's called Icons Unearthed. Icons Unearthed on Vice TV Go check out the MCU stuff. I know I'm going to. I'm really excited about it. Guys, that's about it for news. We're going to take a quick, quick, quick break, and we'll be right back to talk about some new comic books that came out this week. A battle for humanity's future is being waged on American soil right now. The cannabis plant has been used by humans for thousands of years. And yet, it is still severely criminalized in much of the world. But the world is changing. Yay! In the U.S., 37 states have legalized cannabis for medical purposes, and 18 have done so for recreational use by adults. In Illinois, legalized cannabis has spurred an explosion of new businesses and products, all bringing in a massive stream of newly created revenue that other states are eager to match. Yet federally, cannabis faces much of the same resistance of the 1900s. How did marijuana get such a bad reputation? Why is it still so federally restricted? How are smoking and vaping different? How many edibles are too many? Which companies are coming out with the best new products? And who benefits from keeping Mary Jane in the dark? These are the types of questions we'll attempt to answer on the Cannabis Man podcast. A thorough look at all things cannabis, from its history to its explosion in states that have legalized it. So look out for the Cannabis Man podcast, coming soon wherever you get your podcasts. We are back with the all-new, all-different number one comics podcast. We're going to talk about some comic books that came out this week in your local comic book shops, as well as digitally online. From Dark Horse Comics, we had a brand new number one, clear issue number one. Marvel had Bloodline Daughter of Blade issue number two. Amazing Spider-Man issue 21 with the reintroduction of the Scribble Man. Avengers 66, which was sadly... The conclusion of Jason Aaron's epic run. I'm so disappointed about that. 
Bob is heavily grieving right now. So if you guys need to send flowers, you know where to send them. Send them to Bob. We've got New Mutants Lethal Legion number one with a new Lethal Legion with a female Grim Reaper. Scarlet Witch issue number three with a first appearance of somebody that I'm not going to even try to say their name. We've got Star Wars Bounty Hunters 32. First appearance of Inferno Squad as well as if you got that C cover, it's got them on the cover as well. We've got X-23 Deadly Regenesis, which is the first appearance of Haymaker. From Image Comics, a new number one, which was a one-shot called Arc Number One. And from DC, we've got Adventures of Superman John Kent, part of that DC... Uh, Dawn of, D- Dawn of Dawn DC. Dawn of DC. There we go, there we Dawn go. Dawn of DC. I'm prepared, I swear. Dawn of DC storyline. We've got Batman issue 133, which has a new bat suit, and guess what? The Riddler gets a new suit as well. And speaking of new suits, Flash 794 has a new costume for Flash's daughter. Isn't that nice? So is Oprah giving out suits <laughs> now? I think so. Over at DC, everybody gets a new costume. Marvel's pumping out new characters. DC is pumping out new costumes. So <laughs> it's everybody gets something new this week. And that's what we're going to go No with. more Lazarus rising, <laughs> is there? No, it's it's still happening, sadly. Um, I, I regret to inform you that uh, as much as we thought it was done, it's still going on. Mm-hmm. So it'll never end. You'll probably get a new Lazarus suit. Maybe they'll get a suit for the planet. Planet Lazarus suit in the next <laughs> issue. We'll be right back after this break. We are back to talk about our discussion on Image Comics, Stoneheart, issue number one. Bob, this book opens with a map of Athea. Yes. We then see the Padlands of the North Estron Kingdom, and we're shown the Circle of Might, the leading Padland Council, as they discuss how a horrible incident happened with a young maiden Who's a danger to them all? Yes, I guess I guess one of their own just went total dark side. Just berserker attacked something. Yes. Yes. Uh, we then meet a bunch of characters, and we get their first and last names as well as their ages for some odd reason. <laughs> Haven't figured out why yet. We spend the next few pages vaguely stating that our character in question has done something really super bad, but we don't know what. Finally, we are introduced to her as Shade Whisper, or maybe not, maybe Padlin Stoneheart, whose age is 20. She is one of the destined to surpass humanity and absolve the souls of Athena and break the world to create anew. She has been exiled. And her, as her memory is being wiped or whatever is happening there, a voice comes back saying, Shade, remember me. Suddenly, our reborn lead character awakens in the back of a cupboard, uh, sorry, of a covered wagon. And we are introduced to Light Spring Canyon, where she's going to live out her new life as a blacksmith's apprentice. So we learn that her name is Shade Whisper. And her age is 20, even though, again, I think that we already have learned that at some point. Shade accidentally starts a fight and meets her new... Bob, I do you call um, 
this a master? Whenever you're apprenticing under somebody, what's the person that's apprenticing you called? Is that a master? Yeah. It, okay. Master blacksmith. Okay. Yeah. I, I I went with master, but I was like, look, I don't know what kind of connotations I'm I'm saying by calling this guy her master. So let me be careful here. But uh, yeah. Unless somebody knows another proper term, I'm calling him a master blacksmith. Yeah. We'll we'll go with with that. Hopefully that's correct. Um, some time goes by and Shade is doing great in her apprenticeship. She then meets a cute dog, sheep, goat, creature thing. And she saves the dog, goat, creature thing and herself from a giant night cat, which is a huge clawed creature with like a venom type of mouth. It bites her arm and then she destroys it. And then we see someone hiding in the shadows mixing a potion. Shade, seemingly okay, introduces her new pet to her master, and then she goes off to bed. Then a mythic enters, looking for Shade, as she and the man from the shadows drives a blade into her master's chest. The book ends with Shade happily cuddling with her new pet, excited for what tomorrow will bring. And If only she knew. <laughs> if only. So, that's what happens there in the book. I would like to, I, I did this backwards actually this time, but I'm okay with that. We're just going to leave it like that. Um, I, I did want to go into the creator here because this is all a singular creator. So Emma Kubert is, she does everything in this book, every single aspect of this book. She illustrates colors, writes all of, obviously scripted it, um, wrote all of the dialogue, wrote all of the, did all of the lettering in the book. So this is her project through and through. If anything happens with this, she'll be a rich lady. So <laughs> I, I just don't see how you could do all that. Yeah, this is quite an achievement. Whether you like the book or not, it's a lot of effort put it into really this. It really is. She even did, now if you notice, Bob, the cover has that appearance that you get from, from these kind of comics where, you know, typically there's a cover artist that's different from the, the, the interiors. Um, but it's her. She she did this cover, and Ow. and it also looks looks pretty different. So um, so that's that's pretty cool. I think I, I think that what she accomplished here is I don't know. It's pretty awesome. So you you always have to applaud somebody who does that much work. Yeah, and and there's a lot of detail in this book. But anyways, let's let's get into it really quick. Um, this is all taken from her own website. So. Might not be completely up to date. Looks like she, you know, has has done some work on on things like Ink Blot and Radiant Pink. So, uh, Ink Blot, I believe, is done. I don't think it's an ongoing anymore. Radiant Pink, obviously, in the massive verse over there at Image is still happening. So, so we're gonna go into her synopsis. Emma Kubert is the artist behind Frank Miller's Frank Miller presents Pandora and Image Comics Ink Blot and Radiant Pink. Uh. She's introducing her whimsical, twisted tale, Stoneheart, a new ongoing action-adventure fantasy series. Bubbly and headstrong Shade Whisper has been inexplicably exiled from her magic guild and relocated, left with vague memories and romanticized hope. But when she hears a sinister voice in her head that awakens a power beyond her comprehension... She'll traverse her past and present to unravel her prestigious place within the mystical lands of Athena. That is the synopsis of our book. And sorry, I am all over the place today. What I meant to say was taken from her website was 
her <laughs> background here. So we'll get into that really quick. Um, it states that it all started with a legendary DC artist and her grandfather, Joe Kubert, with his iconic work on Batman, Sergeant Rock, Hawkman, and Thor. The apples didn't fall far from the tree when those talents trickled down to his sons, Andy, who is her dad, and Adam, who is her uncle, Cooper, who have delivered stunning pencils for Batman, The Incredible Hulk, Action Comics, Amazing Spider-Man, X-Men, and many more mainline titles. Now, another member of the Kubert family is making her mark on the industry to carry the legacy for a new generation. Me, not me, Emma Cooper. <laughs> she is a third-generation freelance comic artist, writer, and graduate of the Kubert School. I wonder how she got in there. Mm. <laughs> mm. Drawing and storytelling has been embedded in her even before she was born, so she has always had a passion for this industry. The start In the start of her artistic career, she freelanced for various companies such as DC, Dynamite, 20th Century Fox, and Image Comics. She has penciled, inked, and colored for DC... Uh, sorry, DC Entertainment's DC Superhero Girls and Teen Titans Go, and drew layouts for the company's young adult graphic, sorry, graphic novel Raven. Currently, she is the co-creator and colorist and penciler of Inkblot, an ongoing high fantasy story about a mischievous black cat, black cat with the uncanny ability to do anything. So that is our creator, our singular creator here. We've gone over the synopsis of the book. I, I'm going to stop you there. Please I had do. no do. idea that was one big family. All of them are <laughs> related. So I must say, personally, that is one talented family there. Oh, yeah. A, a, a grandfather, a dad, an uncle, and then her. And obviously we know her grandfather and father and uncle's work. Now we're just kind of being introduced to her, although I am familiar with uh, Inkblot and, and Radiant Pink, so we have been introduced to her. She's a, she's a great artist. She's a very good artist. She really um, is. It's going to be interesting to do this one because we're just talking completely about one person, so I think that's kind of cool. Um, I think that this one's going to be very interesting, so let's get into it. Let's get into our breakdown of the book. Let's talk about the story beats. Bob, what did you think as this thing... Uh, this one's got beats. This one kind of reminds me, uh, in a way, of the first book that we covered. I know that you also mentioned Black Cloak whenever we sat down to talk about this before we hit record. I did. It gives me some of those same vibes as well. It's definitely a completely different story. The beats are different and everything. But it does throw you in the middle of this world that we don't know, this fantasy world. Mm -hmm. And kind of introduces you to... I don't know, the hierarchy and, and how it works and everything. I do like how this book on the opposite page of the cover, the interior there, it's got a map of Athena. So we see the country or whatever it is there. And then we see that it's against the glass sea and, and see the different cities and things like that in it. And then as we're introduced to the council, um, we, we see a lot of, a lot of the members of this council and, and everything like that. Um, it kind of, I, I think to say story beats, this is a very high concept, obviously, 
So it goes all around. We're, we're shown all of this for a few pages, and then we get into her life outside of this. So what are your thoughts on it? I'm going to go over it a little bit more, but I want to hear what you think. You know, and I, w I will say it did take me, you know, just... I, d I did, you know, read this multiple times mm -hmm. just to make sure I was, you know, getting it all right. And it is kind of jarring, and you brought this up, you know, going from what I'm guessing is, you know, her past life, mm -hmm. and then that they show, you know, in the, in the black and white, and then going into, you know, her life now after i'm guessing she got her mind wiped i'm guessing that's what you yeah know, that, that's what this was so i mean that was kind of jarring to go from you know that to you know after her mind's been wiped but you know after i read it you know the second time it's like okay her mind got wiped and she's just remembering you know what she was her previous life yeah and this is what I think. I think the first time I read this comic, it, it was very jarring to me. I did not, I couldn't really comprehend what they were trying to tell. Now, as I read it the second time, now as I'm looking back on it and everything, and, and I guess what we have to explain to the listener here who maybe hasn't seen the book yet, the book opens with, I want to say, a good eight pages or so. This all takes place in, in the, I, I don't know, Paladins, um, the, near, near the kingdom. Paladin. Yeah, sorry, Paladin. Uh, the, near the kingdom there. She's obviously someone, some kind of important. She's not just like a common folk or whatever, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And as she's housed with all these people and, and the council's there and everything like that, this is all kind of sketch art looking. It's, it's line work. There's shading involved and there's grays and stuff, but... There's not really any color except for maybe a little bit in the eyes and, and, and things of that nature. The Once our main character wakes up from having her mind wiped and she's in, uh, I don't know what I'm, it's, it's not the real world, it's the same world, but when she's out of this council or whatever, everything's in color and it's, it's more finalized looking, I guess. So, mm -hmm. so that's what we have to say here. And, and when I talk about the beats of the story... It's very. It's going to be very easy for me to exclude this beginning story here because I feel like it's almost like, I don't know, maybe I could equate it to something like The NeverEnding Story or The Princess Bride where you have this narrative going on that doesn't take place in the actual story. It's like a, it's like a thing and then the story happens. That's what I feel like. I... I my mind wants to start the story at her waking up. Well, and the way, just the way I equate it to, and I think the best way, you know, no, to equate it to is just the prologue in a movie. Yeah. Where it's just like, you know, giving some background stuff mm -hmm. and, you know, this is what happened back then. And then all of a sudden it'll say, like it, it, like it did in Avengers Infinity War, where it said five years later. Yep. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's kind of like, and later this happened. I guess the reason that my mind wants to separate the two is because I honestly feel like this story could suffer from that beginning. I feel like it's a little too long and we're kind of just repeating the same thing over and over again and we don't find out anything about it. So what we know here is that whatever she did 
was something very, very bad that the rest of the people on the council cannot accept and they want her exiled. They need her gone. And I feel like that's something that you could definitely tell in a page to Max and then get on with the story. I feel like it's really, really played out here. It just keeps going on and on with the same thing. We have to, we have to get her out of here, blah, blah, blah. But throughout this, it just keeps saying, remember me, don't forget. Uh, and then it says her name, which is Shade Whisper. My, my only, and not to cut you off no, there, please. but um, my only guess on the whole remember me is that's, um, that's just uh, her past, her past uh, self or mm -hmm. her other, before she got it wiped, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm sorry, I, I can't find, you know, the name here. Um, yeah. Paladin, Paladin Stoneheart, Stoneheart yeah. mm -hmm. you know, talking to, you know, Shade Whisper, the, Shade Whisper yeah. you know, the personality that's taken over now. So, I mean, even though they're the same person, mm -hmm. I mean, Shade is who she is after the mind wipe, whether, you know, she made up that name or mm -hmm. somebody else made up that name. And, you know, Paladin Stoneheart is who she really is. Yeah, uh, definitely. That's that's what I gather out of it, too. And, again, it's not that I don't like this. I just feel like it, it goes on a little bit too long. Um, I feel like I really need to get some story, and then it, it takes a minute to get there. So, so I guess that's what I'm talking about with the beats here. We get into that. Now, once we get past that and we see her going to the town, finding her master she's going to apprentice under, showing the, she's really excelling at that and showing some time go by, and then showing her um, battle of the night cat and how she, you know, really kind of... I, I think it's alluded to in, in the story here that a night cat is not something like, a, like just a young unarmed girl can really, like, tear apart, and she kind of does, so, so it's obviously a big deal. And then, and then going through that and then showing her uh, the, the mystics looking for her and then killing her master or whatever and then, and then the book ending that way. I think all of that works perfectly fine. All of those beats work really well. I think that that beginning just kind of, I don't know, convolutes it a little bit in my opinion. It's just a little too drawn out there. Um, so that's what I have for beats. Now, you may feel differently and obviously that's fine, but just ran a little long to me um the narrative of this thing i think that the narrative works pretty well it might be a little heavy um we were definitely i i can't say we're not trusting the reader i think she definitely knows how to tell a story here and she's doing a wonderful job at it um probably a little bit too much exposition in that beginning and, and when I say exposition, I don't mean exposition that explains a lot because it really doesn't. It's vague, but it still lays out quite a bit. And that's kind of where I'm going to go with the narrative. I like it once it gets into the second part of the story a lot. Um, and, and then, yeah, of course, I want your thoughts on it. Well, you know, and I enjoyed the narrative as far as, A, I like those little, I, you know, I guess you would say, you know, equate them to the asterisk bubbles that Marvel has. Yeah, there was quite you know, a few of those. Explaining yeah. what, you know, everything is. Like, you know, this person is this, this person is this. Mm -hmm. And again, from also from a narrative point of view, I like how even though, you know, we're meant to figure out 
you know, they're the same person, mm-hmm. that they both, I guess you would say, different personalities, whereas, you know, of course, we don't, you know, um, they don't focus on uh, Paladin Stoneheart for too long. Sure. Yeah, just you for know, a brief second there. But, I mean, it seemed like, especially when she's gone over to the dark side, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, she's, you know, just straightforward, and she, she's like, you know, I'll, you know, snap your neck and stuff like that. <laughs> Whereas, you know, Shade is, you know, bubbly personality, mm-hmm. you know, just glad to be here, you know, not much of a people person. Yep. But, you know, just a bubbly personality. Sometimes she grates on you with that bubbly personality like she does the driver of the uh, covered wagon who hopes hopes he never sees her again. (laughs) But I'm assuming somewhere down the line, you know, we're going to see them interact with one another again. Mm So, from a narrative standpoint, I, I thought the narrative was pretty good. I mean, it, it you know, it, um, you know, made the Nightcat seem like, you know, something that doesn't come around that area and, you know, is Definitely. a force for other people, but, you know, she just goes Super Saiyan and, mm-hmm. you know, defeats it no problem, which, you know, tells us, oh my God, she's a, a, she's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, she's definitely like a superhero or something. I, I want to know this before we get into the next part, which is which is going to be the dialogue. Which you know, uh, again, I, I kind of feel like we covered in the narrative, but we'll still go into that. Um, you got any? You got any forethought on on what she could have done? Because I there's nothing I can think of. Like, what could she have done so bad that there's so much dialogue about it in the beginning of this book where like the council. Just can't believe what she had done. Well, and I'm going to equate it to this just being, you know, a, a Marvel fan. Mm-hmm. When I was reading that first part, I was hearkening back to the Scarlet Witch and the Illuminati. Yeah. <laughs> where, you know, the Scarlet Witch, I mean, she just, you know, because of what she thought were her kid losing her kids, mm-hmm. you know, she just went, you know, um, just... Totally crazy. Yeah. And the Illuminati got together and just say, okay, we need to do something about this. We need to send her away or Mm -hmm. we need to stop her by any means necessary. So I got those vibes. So, I mean, whatever she did, you know, killing a bunch of people, um, you know, all that, which I'm, I'm guessing she probably did because that's, I mean, that's just the ultimate, you know... That's just the ultimate evil you can do is just killing a bunch of people. Yeah, I'm wondering if if it's something like that. I'm I'm also wondering because this kind of you know gives you like a royals like type of vibe, like you know there's probably like a king, queen, prince, princess, something like that. Like maybe maybe somebody like in a royal position did something bad and then she killed them and maybe that's why it's like so unexcusable or so unbelievable what she did. I'm just not sure, um, but. I, I like I like what you said. You think maybe she just went on like a, a rampage. I'm gonna go with maybe she killed somebody like high up in power, and we're gonna see if if we can figure out which one of us is right as as time goes on. But um, either way, it's not good for her. Well, definitely not. I, I don't think so. Or or maybe it is. But um, yeah, let's talk about the dialogue a little bit. Uh, again, this one's pretty dialogue heavy to me. 
It's not, I guess, let me, let me take that back a little bit. It's not that it's dialogue heavy. There's not an insane amount of dialogue that's unmanageable or anything, but there's a lot of text throughout the book, a lot of explanation, a lot of exposition, a lot of, like you said, those little blurbs at the bottom explaining something. Um, it, it is a read. Uh, I'll give it that. Now, with that being said, what did you think about the dialogue as far as like the characters and everything? I, I thought everybody had a pretty good, unique voice here. Um, the dialogue seemed fine to me. Uh, I, I'm going to have so much trouble with everything in this book separating that first part from, from what happens later. So I think that I like the dialogue less in that first part where we're, where we're kind of showing the council and everything versus her taking her apprenticeship. I think I like that less, but um, yeah, what are your thoughts on the dialogue? Well, and like you, like you said in that first part, and um, you know, I meant to bring this up, um, you know, the world of Athea um, definitely makes it seem like, or at least in this area of Athea that the uh, council is in, the, 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 the strong rule, you know, um, basically rule over everybody else at yes. least or at least to me that's the way it made it seem like definitely and again like like I said during the narrative I mean um, you know it, it showed in the you know in her uh, past or her uh, past self I mean it, it just you know everybody was stoic so you know it was you know it was summer royal just everybody mm -hmm. was stoic everybody was straightforward but, you know, then we get to Shade, and again, you know, if, even in the dialogue, you know, it shows her having a bubbly personality, yep. you know. Like I said, you know, she grates on people just because <laughs> she is so bubbly and upbeat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she definitely explains several times that she's not the best when it comes to associating with people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and... I, I, I agree with that. I agree with how that's taken. I think that... I don't know. She, she's an interesting character. She's pretty nuanced. She's, she's pretty well-written. I, I do like her dialogue. I like her voice here. Uh, let's talk about the world building. <clears throat> Here's probably the biggest comparison. I'm going to give it to something like Black Cloak. Like, they build a world here. This is a, this is a whole different world. I feel like I'm in like a cool fantasy land. Maybe something that would be in like somebody's D&D &D campaign or something. I like it a lot. I like the weird dog, goat, sheep, man, creature, um, pet that she calls a pup at the end. I like the night cat. I like the human characters. Um, I, I like the world here. It, it, feels, it feels different. It feels also lived in. I think that this is something that's probably been in a notebook or something in her mind for a long time. She's sorry. She's really kind of fleshed it out herself and, and made it lived in. So, so I like it a lot. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like I said, I'm, I'm anxious to know more about the paladins of the North. What is that? Estron Kingdom. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Um, whatever's going on there. I, I do want to learn more about that world because I don't understand anything about it other than there's some kind of council probably making decisions or ruling over the land or whatever. But I, I think the world building is, is actually really nicely done here. 
Well, and, you know, you brought up, you know, Black Cloak, which, mm-hmm. you know, I got to say I made a good comparison to because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the whole fantasy element and stuff like that. Yep. And, you know, just like Black Cloak, I mean, this opens up with, you know, seeing an entire world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Black Cloak, you know, opening up, you know, seeing the kingdom, seeing the castle, all that. I mean, this... This comic opening up with seeing a, a map of the, of Athea, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, the the circle of might. I don't, I don't, I don't know how you felt about it, but I got like a um, almost a Knights of the Round Table vibe. Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. You know, and I mean, it it you know, it opens up you know with the with the castle, and then you know uh, once once she gets her mind wipe, you know, you see the um, you see uh, Light Spring came then in uh, another part of Athea, and, you know, you see all the different, you know, sections, basically. Um, y- you know, you've got these two sections, which look like Mayan temples. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I thought the world building, I, I definitely thought the world building kind of reminded me of uh, Black Cloak as far as, you know, what they did and what they showed and all that. Yeah, they definitely built a world. I think, yeah, this is more centralized than, than something like Black Cloak was planning to be. Obviously, Black Cloak wanted like a whole, I don't know, world or whatever. And, then, and this seems a little bit more centralized unless it expands further throughout the series. But but yeah, this this is cool. It gives me, obviously, if you took something like a Renaissance Fair along with like a, somebody's D&D campaign and kind of did something like that with it. I wouldn't be surprised if this started out as maybe her like D and D campaign or something that she had written herself. Um, but but I think it's cool. I I do like this world that she builds here. I think that it works very well, and I agree with that. Let's go over to the art. Let's talk about the characters here. Um, I would like to point out. This is kind of a side note that maybe fits more in the story, but but I do have to point it out one more time. Um, mm-hmm. I I want to know what the purpose of of everyone's ages at the beginning i don't really get it like we don't do that as the story moves along we don't see her master's age or or anybody else's age it's only they were in the, like with the council and everything so i guess that will probably play into some kind of importance like in a later issue or something or maybe it's just to introduce those characters but i've i've not quite seen anything like that in any yeah, book that, i can think of that that's that's different and yeah it's usually just implied like what's yeah you know and i agree with you i mean i think that'll that'll probably come into um play in you know latter issues however yeah. many um issues this actually has yeah and I'm, gu- I'm guessing it's since i only do for that one part i'm mm-hmm. guessing it only has to do with paladins yeah it's got to be important something like that but but yeah anyways let's go over the characters there's a there's a good amount of characters here obviously only a a few that we really focus on, um, of course, the main, and then and then as she's apprenticing her master, and then just a few other people along the way, like like you said, the the covered wagon driver. Um, we have a lot of characters in the beginning, but but other than that, what did you think about the characters? Did you feel like everybody had like a unique voice here? Everybody had like a good like design and look to them. Um, what what were your thoughts on it? I do too, uh, but I. 
you know, I, I thought the characters um, were drawn pretty well. I mean, you get like the um, covered wagon driver, mm -hmm. Master Prentice, you know, that you, you know, they're kind of weathered, kind of, you know, know their stuff, have mm -hmm. grown up in this place. And then you get, you know, how they draw Shape Whisperer, and, you know, and she's, a, there's an actual panel, you know, she's wide-eyed, she's just, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, taking everything in, she's just, you know, shocked by everything, and again, you can, you can definitely tell by her, her interacting with the townspeople, where it's, it, it, it's kind of like, oh, you're in my way, please get out of my way, uh -huh. you know, <laughs> stuff like that, you know, I'm late, I should have been here, you know, already, so, I thought they did a good job interpreting that. Yeah, and Bob, now that you have seen Shade Whisperer here, and, and you know that this is by Emma Kubert, let's show you a picture of Emma Kubert. Do you think that, that, that she's kind of drawing herself in a way? <laughs> I mean, we got the kind of the same look, the red hair and everything. Oh, yes, I, I and, and, and in a way, she, she <laughs> yeah. probably looked in a mirror and started drawing. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of kind of the same vibe to it. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool to point out. Um, so, yeah, I, I agreed. I think the characters work here. There, There's a good balance of background characters. There's, uh, I, I think the designs here and, and the faces and everything really fit the story, the way that this art comes to life here. And of course, naturally, or at least hopefully that would be the case, given that she's doing everything in the book. So I think that that's fair to say. So what about the locations? Um, we, we do have a couple of panels that, that I'm looking at right now that kind of suffer of what we talked about before. Not really any background at all. It's just kind of uh, lights and colors and things like that. Um, I, I think they work for what they are. I don't have any problem with it. I think whenever we really need to see a location or a background or whatever, it's there. Mm. But there is a good mix of both throughout this. Well, I think in especially the um, panels you're talking about, um, it just shows that, you know, it's a weathered town. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's seen some things. It's been through some stuff. I mean, this one panel in particular I'm looking at, which is a um, exterior shot. I mean, it shows, like, the cracked pane on mm -hmm. the on the exterior walls that shows the um you know window treatments are kind of weathered the wood is cracked and you know i i think you know they do a good job of that like you said there are some parts where there's no backgrounds at all yeah. but i think that was an intentional choice just to focus on the characters yeah it seems like it definitely works within the rules of the, sorry within yes. the rules of this story um i think that Whenever we think of something back to like last week, whenever we were doing Cosmic Ghost Rider, and we had some thoughts on on some of the backgrounds and some of the locations and stuff there, we talked about that wild wild west town that really didn't look lived in at all. We kind of wanted to see maybe some paint chipping, some blood splatter, some alcohol spilt on the floor, something, whereas, something to make it lived in, and, and it wasn't. And whereas the Light Spring Canyon is the complete opposite. Yeah, it's been lived in. You can see, yeah, you can see the chips. You can see the fainted paint. Yeah, I think that she does a, a really good job with that. I, 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 I think that she really kind of knows what she wants out of out of this town or whatever this this location that we're in. Um, so let's talk about the colors. I think that's really the last thing left where we're not going to talk about word balloons or anything. They're word balloons. They look good. But, um, 
Yeah, the colors, again, she did everything in this book. I'd like to point that out one more time. She scripted the book. She wrote the dialogue. She wrote the, the text and the word balloons in the book. She illustrated, uh, colored, shaded. She did everything here. So, so how do you feel about the colors? How do you feel? I'm looking at a couple of panels right now, um, especially at the bottom of the page that you're on, where we really see some detail in the hair of the two characters talking. We're seeing some, some really cool detail in hair that I don't even think I've ever seen before that I really like. There's a lot of texture and stuff going on there. You got like a younger character with like, uh, maybe he's just starting to be able to grow some facial hair. You can kind of really see that on his face. The freckles and blemishes and stuff on her face really kind of pop. I like how her hairline's not like a hard start or stop anywhere and it kind of, it, it's more natural. I think that the colors here really, really work to an advantage for the story, definitely. Well, and, you know, for anybody who does read this book, I mean, like we've, like we've said before in this podcast, you know, the first few pages, there are no colors. Mm -hmm. So ju just keep that in mind when we're talking about the colors, the first few pages, we're kind of doing separate because there are no colors. Yep. But I mean, as far as as far as everything else, I mean, the you know the colors pop like um, you know when you have her for forging. I'm sorry, and you know you see all the you see how hot she has to get things. The colors, you know, tell you okay, that's really hot. Mm -hmm. So I think I think the colors are done you know beautifully. I mean, you can. I have, I have no issue with the colors at all. Yeah, uh, I think they work very well here. I think that, all in all, this book works very well. I obviously we're going to go into our question if if we think that our listeners should move on to issue number two. But I would like to point out once again, Emma Kubert has done everything here. This is completely just her project. A lot rests on her shoulders, whether this is a success or not. And I would just like to point out, I, I really do think it is. I think that she nails it here. I have to be honest with you. I was lukewarm at best at first on this book. I liked the cover and I liked the name. And then whenever I opened it, I was, I was not excited anymore. And those first few pages kind of, I, I just didn't know what I was getting myself into. And it wasn't until she was exiled and we see her kind of rebirthed or whatever that I started to get into the story. But I really liked it and was able to appreciate it after that. So for me, yeah, I'll definitely go on to issue two. I'd like to see what's going to happen next. And, and I have to know, you know, I have to I have to know what she ended up doing. I have to know what happened there. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a strong I'm, I'm going to move on to issue number two for me. Bob, what are your thoughts on that? Well, if nothing else, I'm going to move on to issue two, just knowing that Emma Kubert does everything in this book. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have to support somebody, especially a comic book mm -hmm. creator who does everything, because nowadays, that's unheard of. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just imagine the work of just scripting something, or just illustrating it, just coloring it, just... Um, e even something like just inserting all of the dialogue in word balloons, that's, 
all of those are, are huge jobs in of themselves, and she's doing all of it here. So, so but yeah, even 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 that aside, I'm definitely moving on to number two. Mm-hmm. I would definitely recommend people moving on to number two because I thought you know for number one issue this was set up brilliantly. Mm-hmm. I mean it you know did one of those okay this is what happened in the past mm-hmm. and then it goes into this what happened this is what's going to happen now and it ends on a cliffhanger so as far as the number one this is what a number one comic should be yeah definitely i agree with you again i'll say it one more time i was scared at first with that with that opening we we talked about that that. yes it it really it really hooked me in so so that's a a win from both of us on, on kind of everything throughout the book and i think that yeah definitely If you're questioning it at all, move on to issue number two. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to close this thing out. We are back with episode number nine of the all-new, all-different, number one comics podcast. Bob, you got some new books that you want to talk about that are coming out next week. I do, and it doesn't look like it's a... um awfully big week for comics which you know middle of the month i can't exactly say it's ever a big you know week as far as comics well that's probably a good thing i don't have to spend as much money as i did this past week i like that yeah but ben will be, be disappointed because he won't be able to keep the lights on for another <laughs> He'll keep week the lights on he might just not be able to feed his dog prime rib but this is true uh, but we do have a few from Marvel Comics. We have Miles Morales, Spider-Man number four, mm-hmm. possible introduction of new spider slayers. Hey, just like we said a couple of weeks ago, anytime you have any new spider characters, maybe jump on those things. Whatever that book was that we were talking about, now I don't even remember what it was. Was it Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man issue five, I think? Uh, um, um... Yes, I believe it was. Yeah, well, whatever that book was that I told you guys to load up on is already heated up. It's like selling for $20 in the secondary market, so not a bad call. Um, from Scout Comics, we have Granite State Punk, which <laughs> is a cool title in its own right. Sure. From Image Comics, we have Forged Number 1. From Scout Comics, again, we have... We Wicked Ones, number one, which sounds, just from the solicit, sounds like it's going to be a good one. Yeah, that one you might want to go ahead and call your local shop, add that one to your pool list. It's got some cool witch burnings or something. It sounds like fun. From Boom Studios, we have Berserker number 12, which is the final issue. The final issue of Berserker. I can't believe it. It seems like it only just started 12 years ago. (laughs) Keanu Reeves is so disappointed right now. Sorry, buddy. From Image Comics, we have... I'm guessing it's supposed to be No One, number one, Mm -hmm. or No Slash One, number one, whichever one. (laughs) From from DC Comics, uh, we have Batman The Adventures Continue Season 3, number three, which is just a fantastic read either of the seasons because it um extends batman the animated series which of course if you're listening you were definitely a fan who wasn't 
Um, from Mar from Marvel Comics, we have Avengers Forever number fifteen, which unfortunately is the very last issue in the Jason Aaron run of Avengers Forever. Again, like I said, everybody, if you need to send flowers uh, for morning, send them to Bob. Uh, He'll need them. Kleenex, whatever. From Marvel <laughs> Comics, we have Hellcat number one. Man, I'm so, so excited for some more Patsy Walker. Like, what the hell? Why have we been lacking in the Patsy Walker department for so many years now? I used to love that Hellcat, a.k.a. Patsy Walker book. I thought it was amazing. I love her and, and every team she's on and stuff. She's a lot of fun. Plus, we get a first team appearance. Well, thank God. From DC Comics, and unfortunately, it's not dead. <laughs> Bob's favorite. We get another Lazarus Planet, Revenge of the Gods, number one. Can't Lazarus Planet <laughs> ever go to a number two? How long can this go on, DC? And it's nothing but number ones. That's it. Just number ones. Just a different title every time. Yes. Um, also from DC Comics, we get Multiversity, Harley Screws Up the DCU number one, which just, judging by the cover alone, looks like it could be a crazy good time. This should be a fun book, I agree. Um, then from DC, we get Superman Lost number one, which is going to be a 10-issue, I guess you would call that a maxi-series. Mm -hmm. And from Image, we get uh, 8 Billion Genies number 8, the final issue series finale. Yeah, I'm kind of sad about this one, but I think they'll come up with a second volume. This has oh, sure been an absolute hit. It's been a great book, a really good read. I'm excited to see whatever adaptation they make of that. So, Bob, what book will we be covering next week on the podcast? From DC Comics, we will be covering Multiversity, Harley Screws Up the DCU number one, which will be a six-issue limited series. That's right. We're circling all the way back around to DC. It seems like it was just yesterday when we did the new volume of Superman, but at last, we have to cover this fun Harley book because it just sounds like lots and lots of shenanigans and lots of stuff for me and Bob to talk about. It does. It, it gives me... Um... It gives me uh, Deadpool kills the Marvel <laughs> Universe vibes. Yep, exactly. Where he just, you know, scrolls through the multiverse, killing different versions of himself. Absolutely. That's, that's kind of what I was thinking, too. Guys, I would like to throw out there, of course, if you're listening through Spotify, you can answer right there on the app. But if you're listening through YouTube or anywhere else... Uh, you can feel free to drop us a comment. You can go on our Instagram, our TikTok, our Twitter, whatever. Let us know if you have a suggestion of a book that you would like us to cover. That is how we found Where Monsters Lie, and it was a great, great suggestion. We're happy we went over that one. But we would absolutely love to hear from you if you have a book that's coming out. Please do. like us to talk about, we would love to. So please throw your suggestions in the ring, and we will strongly consider them. Speaking of plugs for social media, we are at Instagram at A-N-A-D underscore number one comics podcast. We're on Twitter at A-N-A-D N-O comic pod and TikTok at A-N-A-D number one comics pod. You can also find us under the comic book channel on YouTube. As always, please use the hashtag all new, all different nation on your social media of choice to be entered in our weekly giveaway where this week we're going to give away 
Images, Stoneheart number one. So get your hands on this free copy. All you have to do is use the hashtag all new, all different nation on your social media of choice. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Yeah.